Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the podcast where we believe that the best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And a few of my favorite ordinary things are sleeping in on Saturdays, rereading old books, and late night conversations with my teens. Lisa Jo, I love a fire in the wood stove, that first cup of coffee in the morning, and flannel sheets on the bed. As usual, we are recording on the third floor of Christie's 100-year-old farmhouse called Maplehurst. And while we wish and actually plan to invite all of you to join us here at some point, the next best thing is to get a copy of Christie's brand new book called Placemaker, which is a behind-the-scenes look at all the nooks and crannies of this very special place. In the words of one of our favorite online nesters, Michael and Smith, she says, if you appreciate beautiful stories about house and home and all the many ways places change us as we go about changing them, Placemaker is the book you've been waiting for. But Lisa Joe, Placemaker isn't just about this old house. It also tells the story of every place that came before, from our first tiny apartment in Texas to a condo in the big city of Chicago, from failed DIY to a barn raising and all the trees I fell in love with along the way. I recommend pre-ordering your copy today as a gift to your future self, and maybe as a gift to a few of your friends, too. Look for it wherever you like to buy books. It will be in your hands March 12th. Lisa Joe, last week I shared some stories about a hard time in our family when my brother-in-law, my sister Kelly's husband, Sean, passed away. And we're going to continue that conversation, but in order to talk about how to be with people who are grieving, because that, like it or not, it's a big part of our ordinary lives. Mm-hmm. Maybe we are going through a loss, maybe a friend or a family member, someone in our community It's just a part of ordinary life. And I bet there are a lot of people who are saying, how do I show up? (laughs) What what, what could that even look like? Because it's an intimidating part of ordinary life. It's an intimidating part of ordinary life. We're so scared of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. And sometimes the more we care about people, the harder it is to figure out how do we show up for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of my clearest memories of that, that hard time three years ago involves you actually. <laughs> so when, um, first of all, I will say you were the, the first person that, and it was just a text, I think, yeah, the first person me. that I reached out to when we understood that Sean was missing. And for those of you who are maybe just tuning in for the first time this week, go back and listen to last week's episode, because we do talk about that. We tell the, the larger story of Christie's brother-in-law, Sean, who's a Marine who went missing at sea. Mm-hmm. And I think I reached out to you because... I was feeling very big feelings. Yes. And I knew there was something, I knew that immediately, like I would just have to give you the briefest details and you would be feeling all of those feelings. Mm. I knew that. Yeah. I knew that. And somehow that I knew was was going to be enough, that that's all I needed was to know that there was a friend feeling all of the things with me. Because it feels, <laughs> it's almost like splitting the load somehow. Yeah. Because grief is so lonely. Yeah. You feel like nobody else can walk through it with you. The mm. only way through is through. It's terrifying. You, you're by yourself with all this ocean of emotion that you don't know what to do mm. with. 
And when I got that text from you, I I remember where I was sitting. I was sitting in my little tiny book nook at our house working and that text popped up. Oh, I can I can feel my reaction to it because just the previous year, wasn't it just the previous year, Easter, when we had yeah. been here at Maplehurst yeah. for the big Easter egg hunt right. that we did, which I think is actually in episode seven. If you go back, we talk about Christie's epic Easter egg hunt that they <laughs> host here for all the neighborhood and 2,000 Easter eggs. And Kelly was here with the kids yeah. and it was right before they moved to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. She was here. Mm-hmm. Sean was getting posted to Hawaii. It was my first time meeting her. And it was a very unseasonably warm Easter. Oh, it was you gorgeous, wasn't that? it? It was beautiful. I, one of my favorite memories of that day, Kelly's a photographer. Oh my gosh, this incredibly gifted photographer is that we were sitting out on your front deck and then in front of us on the lawn was almost an ocean of all these brightly colored emptied of candy now plastic <laughs> easter eggs do you remember that they i do just yeah and i lay down in yes. the eggs and then kelly was like wait 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 this is such a great photo and then she took a picture from the top of me surrounded by a sea of these pastel plastic easter egg halves it's funny yeah. the memories that stick with you and and we had all kind of felt like oh my gosh they're so lucky they're moving to yeah. hawaii and then you know her instagram feed kelly's instagram feed and we'll link it here in the show notes uh-huh. too her eye, how she, I mean, Hawaii is so beautiful anyway, but her photos mm-hmm. from that season, I just remember being so struck by how beautiful they were. So that's the association I always had. This is her life. This is how they're doing mm-hmm. it. It's so great. And that text message was so jarring. It felt like suddenly crashing into a cliff. Mm-hmm. It just, I, re- I remember when we were waiting, because that was the hardest part. And I mean, for me, I'm so removed from it. I know the waiting for you guys was so terrible. All that weekend, I cleaned toilets. It's funny that that's a memory for me. I didn't know what to do with my feelings mm-hmm. and my emotions. And I was so angry and sad and worried. And I took it all out on my toilets for some reason. <laughs> and I just scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed those stupid toilets because I was I was waiting on you, waiting for what the next updates would be. You know what I knew at that time? I knew that you weren't thinking, oh, poor Christy, what is she feeling? Oh, you were feeling it. Yeah. I knew you were feeling it. And of course, neither one of us was feeling what my sister was feeling no, or Sean's no. close family were feeling. We're not saying that. No. But you knew just as someone who was slightly outside the situation, as mm-hmm. I was outside the situation, I just knew you were feeling, I, maybe because we just have a history, we've been friends for so long. Right. I just knew that you were feeling what I was feeling mm. as, and, and as much as you were able. And somehow, yeah, that really did that share. I just knew that the load was shared. The Mm. burden of all that heavy, heavy worry and fear and uncertainty was shared. Mm. So not only were you sharing that emotional burden in those early days, but then I traveled to Hawaii and we went through that whole experience. Um, We had a memorial service there for Sean. I came home, was jet lagged and Mm -hmm. just wiped out. Do you remember how long it took before you showed up at my door? I don't, I because I re, I remember feeling the distance. You know, Hawaii's far to go from here on the East Coast. Right. I couldn't keep in touch with you during right. that and time. You were yeah. so far away, and I just felt that ache you feel for your friends that are suffering. I could feel your suffering, and I just kept thinking. It was so hard because I hadn't seen you before you left because mm-hmm. you left so suddenly so, yes. when you guys mm-hmm. got the news about Sean and. 
it, so there wasn't a chance to see you in person or give you a hug or anything. So I kept waiting for that opportunity to like physically mm-hmm. be in your presence right. and hug you and comfort you. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that, that you, yeah. That, so you I know, feel while like I was distracted and focused and dealing with right. all of that. You were I was longing like, for that. Yes. <laughs> and so to me, I think when I remember when I saw you, to me, it was like the soonest opportunity you had when I you came back. Was. I feel like almost as soon as I got home. Yeah. Um, that you were there and how much I need, how much I needed that and how much um, I knew that you were just felt like the safest person I could talk, talk to because mm. you are a person who is acquainted with grief. Yeah. You're not unfamiliar with grief and you love me. And I knew you loved, you even loved Kelly. Like you I knew you did. Kelly. Yeah. I know yes. you love Kelly and love you know um, that she had a, a place in, in your heart. And so you showed up at my door, but you did not come empty handed. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where I was like, what do I bring Christy? You know, like what will comfort her? And I, I'm a big believer in trying to understand like what brings comfort to mm. people. I think people are comforted in different ways. Mm. And I just thought to myself, here's my friend in her home who's a placemaker. She's been gone in Hawaii. And, you know, when you were there, you wrote a lot about how different Hawaii is right. just in terms of the landscape, the weather, the the vegetation. It's it could not so have been different than the East strange Coast. Yes. And marvelous, but different and unfamiliar and the opposite of home in many ways. My like home. Uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, just uncomfortable in every way. Like, what a terrible thing grief is. It's so uncomfortable. Uncomfortable mm. for Kelly, uncomfortable for you. But I just knew, like, what what will feel like home to Christy? How do I make her feel like you're back in a place where you're known and seen? And I thought, I will bake for her, <laughs> which, if, if you know me, is a true act of love because it is not my sweet spot at all. That's a big deal. I, I still remember being surprised. <laughs> That, surprised that you didn't, but in a in a beautiful way. Like, yeah. wow, she really does love me. <laughs> <laughs> I made South African milk tart, which we've talked about in several of our episodes. This beautiful dessert that is served at every South African tea. You know, anytime there's tea in South Africa. I think I first had it at your 40th birthday tea. Yes. Do you remember that I, lovely party? Of course party? I remember. Yeah. Yes. We had a tea yeah. party when I turned 40 and there was milk tart. And so I made milk tart, but I remember, here's the thing about grief. No matter how well you know someone, it is intimidating to think, how will I interact with them that first time after this terrible thing has Mm -hmm. happened? Mm -hmm. Because it feels like crossing into a new land with them where you haven't been before. Mm -hmm. And do you have permission to enter? What state will you find them in? How will they receive you? Do they want you to cross this border with them or not? And I felt nervous. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I actually felt nervous. How will Christy be? Is it okay that I'm coming? And so I, you don't know this part of the story, but I wanted to not just bring the milk tarts. I wanted to bring them in a way that that you would feel the most loved when you received them. So I wanted to not just like bring them loose. I wanted to have like a tray. And then I thought I, I'd, it'd be so nice to have a cute milk, milk pitcher and um, dish towels, like the things I know in your home that, that bring you comfort and joy. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the store and spent ages in the aisles, like trying to figure out like, but which dish towel would Christy like and which milk pitcher? And I spent so much time. <laughs> and then I, there's at Walmart, a whole pioneer woman aisle. And I was like, yes. oh my gosh, this is the one. <laughs> and I bought the cutest little milk pitcher that's in the shape of a cow and these beautiful dish towels that have teacups on them. And mm. 
and a tray. And I just thought, to me, this is this is Christy. Like this is when I think mm-hmm. about Christy, these are the things I think about. And if she has to cross into this very difficult new land that you never want anyone to have to visit. But at some point in our lives, we all cross over into it. And it's, I'm going to do a random book reference here, but in the Harry Potter series, remember how Luna Lovegood is the only one who's yes. able to see these mystical creatures, creatures who pull the wagon, who pull the, the, who carriages. Pull the carriages up yes. to the school. And it's, Every, because, it's because she has experienced a death in her family. Yeah, she's acquainted with grief. She's acquainted with grief. And only she and Harry, Harry after his uncle Sirius dies, mm-hmm. is then able to see the creatures too for the mm-hmm. first time. And I think there's just something incredibly tender about a friend who crosses over mm-hmm. and is now able to see who knows what it's like to have had something that deeply sad happen in their life. And so I really did, I felt like I arrived with some trepidation, but being acquainted with grief myself, I know it's so important for people not to avoid you. It's so Mm. important for the people you love to have the courage to come and be in your life, in your grief with you, to Mm -hmm. be willing to sit in your grief with you because it's so lonely and so isolating that if people are too afraid to enter into Mm -hmm. it with you, Mm -hmm. it somehow multiplies the Mm. heaviness of the grief. I remember when we were in Hawaii, I remember personally being almost in awe of the bravery Mm. of the people who knocked on my sister's door to bring food or comfort. Fortunately, there were other friends who were organizing all the meals, so all the food didn't just show up on the same day. We we needed that food. We needed that gift of provision, and there were friends who organized that. But that meant that on any given day, the person knocking on the door to bring a meal um, wasn't necessarily a close friend. Mm -hmm. Quite often they were... (laughs) Maybe I, I remember a few times where I think they, they weren't even people who had met Kelly before. They were maybe a friend of a friend or they were a neighbor or something like that. And I would just remember being in awe of their courage and their bravery to knock on the door of a house where people were suffering like that. I just thought, these people are amazing. <laughs> and there was one woman in particular, and I remember um, she knocked on the door and she brought her children and she, she handed over the food and she immediately just started to cry because she was so moved, you know, by by what was happening. And she was just apologizing because clearly she hadn't wanted to burden us mm. with her tears, mm. but she couldn't help it. Right. <laughs> but she was so sweet in apologizing. And it's like she knew she knew that she didn't want to add to our grief. Mm. But just seeing her there crying, it was it, it was I don't know. I just remember enjoying telling her it is OK. I mean, you yeah. showed up. You are here. And that means everything. And thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And so she did it imperfectly, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she kind of fell apart <laughs> mm-hmm. on the doorstep. But even in that that imperfect offering, it was such a gift. It was mm. such a gift. So I just think, you know, those brave people who show up, just showing up, even if they don't know what to say or they don't mm. know what to give, just showing up matters. It really does. And I think, especially because you don't know how people will react, adults will react differently than children, Mm. too. My mom passed away a week to the day after I turned 18. 
And it was such a strange experience because especially I think as a teenager, you don't quite have the emotional capacity yet to process with words what's happening to you. You don't know how to explain to people how you're feeling, but it's a very overwhelming feeling. And I remember the day I found out that she'd passed away. She'd been sick for a long time. She had leukemia. She was in hospital and then in the end in hospice. And my dad came home and I'll never forget it. He stood at my bedroom door and he was holding in her in his hand her little blue suitcase And I looked at him and I said, what are you doing? Like, mom needs her stuff. Like, what are you doing? And he just looked at me and I knew. And then he did a lot of phone calls and I just couldn't bear to be in the house. Like, I didn't want to have to even hear it, Mm. the news over and over again. And I called one of my best friends, Lisa, Lisa Murphy, and I called her and I didn't tell her. I just said, hey, can I come over to your house? (laughs) It's like such an 18-year-old, right? Can I come over to your house? And I didn't say why, and I didn't have a driver's license yet, so, and she didn't either. So her mom drove her to my house, no questions asked. And that was it's one of the things when I look back as an adult now, the parents of my friends, right? how they loved me. And as a teenager, I didn't realize that. I just took for granted a parents yeah. will help. But they, of course, knew, right? Yeah. And they just knew what we were all living through. And so her mom drove her over. They picked me up. I didn't say anything. We made small talk. We were in the car. It was a beautiful sunny day in September, gorgeous South. African weather. We got back to her house. We went into her bedroom. And then I told her that my mom had died. A very awkward thing for a teenager to try and say. It's it's hard to even find the words. You don't know what to say. And as I was telling her, suddenly her mom came into the bedroom and she was just crying. And she's like, Lisa Joe, why didn't you tell us? And I thought, how does she know? What's happening? And then one of my other very best friends that I've known since I was six, Dorothy, she had heard the news because my dad had called her parents. And so she had gotten in the car and driven straight to Lisa's house because that's where my dad had said I was. And I think the thing that struck me is the courage of teenagers to face that kind of grief because there were a lot of adults who were very awkward, like didn't know how to be. But my friends, like they just ran to me. (laughs) I remember Dorothy so well in that moment. She had broken her ankle a few weeks before. So she had a cast on her foot and wasn't supposed to be driving. Oh, wow. (laughs) She just said, she she just, she had her license, grabbed her car keys and just drove. And I have a picture of her walking up Lisa's really steep driveway, limping with her cast. She wasn't even trying to use her crutches, just crying because she had to get to me, you know, to just hold me. And she just kept saying over and over, I just loved Auntie Jo so much. I just loved her, you know. And there was something about that where I felt so awkward and I didn't know even how to cry. I didn't know what my feelings were, but my friends, they, it was like they felt my feelings for me. Mm. They were very comfortable with it. And I just remember that time in my life as being so, it was almost an out-of-body experience. I remember sitting in our living room just watching TV with my two brothers and adults coming in and out and like crying and hugging us, but we just kept watching TV because we didn't know how to manage their emotions. But my friends would just show up and they stopped asking me over the next days and weeks, you know, do you want to come out for coffee? Because they knew I would say no. They just arrived. Mm. They'd just be like, we're here, get in the car. Mm. And I wasn't <laughs> expected to talk. Mm. I wasn't expected to engage. I, they were just with me. Mm. It was the withness. They just kept being with me in all the circumstances, whether we were out for coffee or they took me to the movies or they'd just come over to my house and we'd have tea. Of course, we of would course. for hours <laughs> and talk. And I wasn't expected to be anything. Mm. They were just with me. 
I think that right there, you've you've hit it when you said you weren't expected to talk. Mm. Because um, I think in trying to care for others, often we we don't know how to do that except to say, how are you? <laughs> yes, I know. But that's, it's that's, so that's just difficult. such a heavy, hard question. And so right. to be with without asking questions, to be with without needing conversation, just to be with. Your story reminds me of one of my first experiences with grief was when I was 15 and I lost my favorite person in the whole world, my Aunt Sissy, who um, was just the most amazing woman. And she, we thought of her, I think, as she was like a cross between Santa Claus and Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, she was amazing and she loved us and we just knew we were loved by her and she was so much fun, but she died in a car accident when I was 15 and we flew as a family. She lived in Canada. We flew all the way to Canada for her funeral and she had friends there who were grieving their friend, right? Mm -hmm. They were grieving. And yet what I remember is how concerned they were for for us, for me mm. and my younger sisters and my younger brother, because they knew how much we loved our sissy. Yeah. And so one of her dearest friends, um, oh goodness, I should have checked on the story ahead of time, but I, I remember her name was Vicky. Mm. And I remember, um, so she was one of sissy's closest friends. And again, what it, now looking back as an adult, I think how, how sad she must have been, how, how hard those days must have been for her. But what did she do? She took me and my siblings to um, a big, is it, it's like biggest mall in the world or so. There's something there <laughs> that appeals to, to young people. And it had like a water park and it had. The Mall of America? Yeah, but not in America. Okay, uh, <laughs> like that. Yes, yeah, because we would have been in Edmonton. Um, and it had, you know, it was just a, a sort of like taking us to an amusement park or, right. a, you know, with rides and, and fun things. And so she took us there and I can remember just how clear it was that she was willing to listen and she would talk about Sissy, but she didn't ask questions. She didn't demand that we mm. talk back. She didn't ask, oh, what are you remembering of her? Right. She didn't ask anything. She just was with us. <laughs> she was showing us a good time and she was talking about Sissy yeah. so that Sissy was sort of present, but in a very undemanding way because, mm. of course, at 15, I could not talk right. about it. That's I could thing. not you know how to talk verbalize about what you're it. feeling. Not at all. And she didn't. Um, she didn't ask that. She didn't demand that. And I remember. I just rem th that actually. I remember more clearly than I re even remember Sissy's funeral, hmm. as I remember that time with Sissy's friend. Isn't that funny? Because I have an exact same memory like that. Really? About r right before my mom's memorial service, and you know. This might seem like a very heavy episode to be listening to, but I hope what you're hearing here isn't the storm, but the lighthouse. I hope uh, yeah. that's what you're seeing because these people were lighthouses for yeah. us in a storm. And that's what you have to remember when you're entering into grief, when you're taking the courage to walk into somebody else's grief, you're going to be a lighthouse for them. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be afraid. It's okay if you say the wrong thing, yeah. but show, show up, up because they need a lighthouse. And I remember the... My mom's uh, memorial service, they had a memorial service first in Pretoria where we lived, and then her funeral was several days later, way down in the crew where she was buried on our family farm. And the memorial service was the first, like, this is happening, like, oh my goodness, you know, this, everybody's going to show up and they're all going to be looking at us. Mm -hmm. And it's a very... I mean, as a teenager, you're so awkward anyway. Yeah. And then you're an 18-year-old girl at your mother's memorial service. You don't even know how to be as a human being in your mm -hmm. own skin. And I remember we were at our house beforehand. We were getting ready to head to the church. We were sort of dressed. And it was myself, my two younger brothers, and my dad. And it was the 
here's the thing about grief, and everyone experiences it differently, but for me, it feels like being underwater, mm. like you can't breathe, you don't know how to surface, you're separated from everybody else. You and the rest of the world are on two different planes. You are looking at the world from under the water, mm. and you don't know how to get to it. And when people are just sort of polite to you, or they avoid you, mm. or they're uncomfortable around you, you feel like you're going to drown. Oh. But when someone walks in, a lighthouse person is how I think about it, and they mm. thrust their hand down into the water to get you, you can take a deep breath again. And there we were drowning before we head out to the memorial service. We were in the kitchen, and my father's best friend from childhood, they'd known each other all through middle school and high school, their entire lives they'd known each other, Uncle Alex, mm. I will never forget, blew into our house, <laughs> like a lighthouse with a massive beam searching in the water for us. He is one of those rugged men, a real man of the bush, you know, oh. hunter, tracker. He has scars. His One side of his face is paralyzed from a stroke he had once. He is super gruff. He was wearing khaki. You know, he's that, <laughs> he's that man. He was unembarrassed by our grief. Uh, and he blew into the kitchen and he's like, what's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? Oh, have you eaten? I bet you haven't eaten. And he went into the kitchen and started making food for us. Wow. Of course we hadn't eaten. Nobody had thought to eat. We didn't even, you don't even know how to get dressed when you're in that kind of grief. And I, it's funny, I even remember what he made us. He made us toast with avocado on it. And he had cheese and hot, hot tea with lots of sugar. And he just, he just started doling out food for us. Mm. And he loved us and he was laughing and he was funny and he laughed with us and he he hustled us out of the house and he helped us make that journey from our house to the church for the memorial service and we didn't sink because mm. of him he was unembarrassed he by was your grief unembarrassed by our grief that's it that's so beautiful and that's hard and that's i know people are probably some are listening and thinking i would be embarrassed i would be awkward mm -hmm. um that's okay. Show show up. I think it's just the showing up and being willing to to be there right. in the grief. And, and I think it's willing to even say things like, I might say the wrong thing, yeah. but I want you to know I so badly want to show up for yeah. you. Right? Yeah. And I think that's what matters the most. Not whether you say the perfect thing, but yeah. that you're willing to be there. I think if in doubt, show up, write the card, send the gift. Mm-hmm. I remember a box arrived in Hawaii and a, a high school friend of me and Kelly had sent a big box of tissues and oh. <laughs> coloring books and oh. random things yes. that were also sort of just right. And it was, she couldn't show up, right? She was right. miles away. But in that, in that box, she, sh she showed up. And I'm yeah. sure when she placed that order, she thought, I don't know what to send. Right. I don't know what they need. Maybe this is the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Was it the right thing? Was it the wrong thing? It didn't even matter. Right. She showed up. She sent the box. Right. So I think, yeah, I think that's all I have to say is write the, if in doubt, write the card, right. show up, and send, send the, the box. send the memories. That's yeah. the other thing. I was so moved by how many people took the time to write us a note, you know, at the memorial service and just hand me a card mm. that shared what my mom had meant to them. Mm. That was a very powerful thing to hear from so many strangers. Mm. That The strange thing about a funeral is you discover all these people that someone you love has impacted and that you didn't know. And suddenly mm. there they all are, hundreds and hundreds of people. And 
People were holding, handing my dad and us notes, cards, letters, all these stories about mm. my mom, all these memories of ways that she had impacted mm. all of these people. And that was a very precious thing to mm. be able to hold in our hands, something very tangible to be able to take home with mm. us after what was just a very... It's surreal. It's a completely surreal experience. Mm. Grief is a very strange thing. And I'll add this. I think there's also what's hard about grief is there are these peak moments, so a memorial service or a funeral, where everybody's there. They're all gathered around you. They're all saying beautiful things. And you're buoyed by it. You are able to function. You say thank you. You hug. You serve tea. You do the things you're supposed to do. And then everybody goes home. And you have to go back to that house, and you're by yourself, and you are alone. Mm. You're the most alone you could possibly be. And I think it's one of the reasons I wanted to show up for you so badly once you got home. Mm. Because it's when you have to enter back into your real life that it's so lonely. And so that's my encouragement to keep showing up for people regular intervals after the primary grief has happened. Oh, that's good. Because grief lingers. So don't just show up for the extraordinary and also extraordinarily hard milestones that come for someone who is grieving, Mm -hmm. but show up for the ordinary moments. Those are the stories you remember. And I think it's why my friends who kept showing up for, I mean, that whole year after my Mm -hmm. mom died, they just never let me opt out. They Mm -hmm. just continued to persistently be my friends. Mm -hmm. And that was a, to me, that was an anchor that got me through that year where I thought I I thought for sure I was drowning. Mm -hmm. Well, now I feel, I don't know, newly encouraged, inspired to try to live as one of those lighthouse people yeah i gotta remember that forever <laughs> to be okay this is my chance to be to be a lighthouse, a lighthouse. and sometimes it just looks like showing up with tea or mm. a, t- a pie you baked or cookies you picked up from the store or popcorn or their favorite takeout food mm. that you think they like i think comfort shows up in many different forms it can be food or something to drink or maybe just sitting on the edge of the sofa and watching netflix with them without even speaking mm. passing the tissues washing their dishes, Mm -hmm. showing up to just say, take a nap, I'm going to do the laundry for Mm -hmm. you. I think we forget how ordinary life has to continue in the face of great grief. Mm -hmm. And it can feel unbearable. And so to be the lighthouse sometimes is as simple as showing up to fold the laundry and make the tea. Mm -hmm. 